The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. There's three points I'd like to highlight today in our Gospel reading. The first is that when Jesus comes and encounters the disciples, and this is following his death, his resurrection, they're in great fear, they're in great turmoil, they're in great sadness. And he comes to them, and the first thing he says is, peace be with you. And then what does he do? He shows them his hands and his side. That's an important thing to kind of keep in mind. He shows them his hands and his side. There's reasons for this. One is to, it's to, rectify, it's to remind us that even the glorified body could still carry the wounds of the, the human reality. And so that the glorified body is not freed from, free from these, these wounds, but these wounds no longer impact us. So he shows them his hands and his side. And he again says, peace be with you. And this is the key part. As the Father has sent me, so Jesus was sent by the Father to proclaim the gospel, to make the gospel, to proclaim this mission, to bring salvation to the world, so I send you. Now Jesus is saying to his apostles, his first priests, You need to go out on the mission that I've been preparing you for. But he doesn't just do this and leave them to be with nothing. He has a very important thing here. He says, when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there's other points in Scripture where this breath of spirit comes upon individuals. Maybe the most important one is in Genesis with the creation narrative, Adam. God breathes the Spirit into Adam. It's what gives Adam life. It's what gives him existence. Because we could have 
you know, the body, the skin, the bone, all these things. But the spirit, this breath of life is the soul. And it's the soul that ultimately gives us life because we, we teach that when one dies, the soul is separated from the body. And when the body and the soul are separated, that's when a person ceases to live. So that's the first thing. He, not, he wants to send them on a mission, but he wants them to be equipped. And so he equips them by breathing the Spirit into them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Where else does this happen? This happens also with Elijah. He resuscitates a boy with breath. And then in Ezekiel, God raises an army of corpses to new life by the breath of the Spirit. But we see it most adamantly or most intently in confirmation. It's in confirmation where we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by this gift of the Spirit to go out on mission. So that's the first point is that Jesus wants to send them out. He wants to breathe life into them. And he gives them the Spirit. So he gives us the Spirit. The second is what he says right after that. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven. And whose sins you retain are retained. It's also translated in the other Gospels as what you bind and what you loose. And so right here, Jesus is re-emphasizing the authority to his priests, the ability to forgive sins. The gift of confession. The fact that confession is instituted by Jesus Christ, just like baptism, just like the Eucharist, just like holy orders, just like marriage, just like everything else that we have sacramentally. Instituted by Jesus Christ, right here. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you retain are retained. I give you the power and the authority to forgive sins. Because I've breathed life into you. Because you now have a mission to go out and do what I was doing. This is so good for us. Because the reality is, we need this breath of life. We are by ourselves, and our just our human flesh uh, are never enough. And that's okay. It's actually okay to acknowledge that I am dependent on one who is greater. I am reliant on one who knows more than I do. I need the gifts and the graces that God wants to give to me. But not only that, there are individuals who are ordained and set apart so that our sins can be forgiven, that we're not just trapped and stuck in the muck and the mire of sin. And those are the bishops and the priests. So those are the two key parts, right? The first two key parts. Jesus breathes life into them. He uh, tells them to receive the Holy Spirit, gives them the authority to forgive sins, and now we get to the third part, Thomas. I love Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rep. And, and there are some things about Thomas that we need to be cautious about, but there are some things about Thomas that we should really take into consideration as points of points of uh, acceptance in our own lives. So this is the third time in John's gospel Thomas comes up. And it's the second time uh, John makes the emphasis about his name Didymus, which means twin. And different scholars have given different ideas about this. One of them was St. Gregory. He talked about how Thomas in this 
twinness has this dichotomy of skepticism and pessimism. In one respect, Thomas, he would have been with the apostles through everything that we saw through the Holy Week, the Triduum, the Passion, the Death, the Resurrection. And he would have been with the apostles when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go back and say, He is risen. So Thomas would have heard this news. It's important that we remember that. Thomas would have heard this good news that Jesus is alive, he's risen. And while the others just accept that, Thomas does not. Now remember, at the early beginning of this, Thomas wasn't there with them. This is what it says. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. But what does Jesus do when he first showed up? He showed them his hands and his side. So he actually does this. So it's not so far-fetched that when Thomas, hearing about this and then stewing with it for a week, demands, well, I want to see the hands on the side. You saw the hands on the side. I want to see the hands on the side. Where we, where we need to be cautious is we don't want to become individuals and people that say, God, I'll believe you if. We don't want to become people that put God to a test. God, I'll believe if you make lightning strike right now. Thank you for not doing that. I'll believe you if you cure my incurable disease. I'll believe in you if you fix this relationship. There are some tests, most tests, we should not put God to. At the same time, however, Thomas, in a boldness, depending on how we want to see this and spin it, does say, Lord, I want to see this. And out of mercy, God obliges. So when, they, when the disciples say, we've seen the Lord, he's like, unless I see the mark in the nails and put his finger in the nail marks and put my hand inside, I will not believe. Okay, we need to check ourselves there. Because there is a beauty in having faith and believing even when we don't see something. That's actually the reality of all of us right here. Has anyone seen the resurrected Christ from the tomb? Was anyone at the crucifixion? No? Okay. So making sure. And yet, in some sense, we are. In some sense, we have been at the crucifixion because of things that have come in our lives, because of the fact that we pray the stations. These are living realities. They're not just a historical point that happened. Like, Jesus, in his existence, is alive in us. So when we celebrated Easter... And we celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated this one moment, almost, in time. When we celebrate every Mass, we celebrate the salvific point of history where Jesus sacrifices himself for us and then gives us his body and blood. It's not just, let's remember what happened. Let's actually go to that point and live in that moment. So we kind of all have lived the resurrection. We all have lived the passion. We all have lived these things. But still, at the end of the day, yeah, I haven't seen God standing right here before me with his wounds and saying, all right, check these out. So there's a faith that we have to take on. And Thomas, in his you know, rigidness and in his, let's say, sorrow, says, I want more proof. So the caution is not so much to say, God, you need to, you need to do these things in order for me to believe in you. But instead to say, Lord, I believe in you so much, I'm going to ask you for these really bold things. And there's a difference there. It's no longer me saying, 
my faith is dependent on what you can do, but I know what you can do, and my faith believes in it so much, I'm going to ask you for some crazy stuff. I'm going to ask you to heal that relationship. I'm going to ask you to fix that thing in my life. I'm going to ask you to resolve these conflicts because I know you're alive, because I know you exist, because you are so good and loving and merciful and just. I can ask you this. You may tell me no or not yet, which happens, but I can still ask. So the challenge for us is not to test the Lord, I'll believe if, but to have a faith with such a ferocity, such a zeal, such an intensity that's like, Lord, I know you could do this if you want to, and so I'm going to ask you. Sometimes the, the worst things we do in life are presume or think that God's not doing things. Well, the question is, did we ask? You know, I could presume and say, all right, the servers are going to do certain things, but if I don't ask them to do things, I can't be mad if they don't do them. So I had to remind him, like, hey, I need the book at the beginning of Mass. We're going to do a sprinkling rite. If he didn't show up, and I was like, where were you? He can't read my mind. And while God is all-knowing, God wants us to ask him for things. As a loving father, as a loving parent, he wants us to ask. And so we have to be bold enough to ask. We have to be bold enough to even know. And, and actually, sometimes we need to be bold enough to acknowledge, I may not know what I need. And so, Lord, I need you to help me know what I need. But God, in his mercy, meets Thomas where he is. And God, in his mercy, will meet us where we are. Maybe we do struggle. Maybe we do have a difficulty sometimes with faith. Maybe we, we don't understand everything that happens in the world. Maybe we question a lot of things about God. But are we asking the questions to develop a relationship with him? Are we asking the questions, are we seeking out encounters with him so we can come to know him better? Or have we just kind of said, I'm done with this? So to Thomas's credit, he boldly asks. That's our challenge today. When we loop all of this into the, the seasonal day of divine mercy, we think about how much love God has for us, that, he, that blood and water poured out of his side was for you and me, was for our salvation, was for the benefit of our souls, because he breathed life into us, in and through our baptisms, again through confirmation, in every Eucharist we receive, we receive the body of Christ. Not a symbol, not a gesture, not an idea. The body, the blood of Christ. Because he knows that we need him physically nourished in us. So we have two challenges really to consider for this week. The first challenge is how are we responding to the grace that we've received? be our baptisms, confirmation, Eucharist, confession, whatever, whatever sacraments we've, we've encountered with the Lord, how do we respond to those gifts and those graces? How are we acting with those? And the second is to think about in our lives, are there things I've not asked God for that I could? Are there things I've not been bold enough to bring to him because I, I don't think he cares about it, I don't think about it, or have I been putting the Lord to an unnecessary test? And how do I just tweak that mindset, tweak that prayer a little bit? Because we should boldly ask God for things. When I first got here, I said, Lord, I want more property. I'm getting more property. 
I've asked the Lord, Lord, send me the people I need. Church looks pretty full today. I was also on time, so that kind of helps. <laughs> I get it. But if we don't boldly ask the Lord for things, we can't be upset if it doesn't happen. So we're not testing the Lord. Lord, I'll believe in you if you give me more property. I'll believe in you if you send me more people. No, Lord, send me more people. Lord, give us more property. Lord, do more things in our parish. Because I know you can. So that's our challenge. Not to test, but to boldly ask. And to be willing to acknowledge that we need his help. And his mercy, that will be given to us.